Hello, everyone. Welcome to the All Out Coach Podcast. My name is Tim Mikhailashvili. I'm your host, also CEO and co-founder of Amadev Pharma, performance analytics agency for life sciences that helps medical organizations quantify their direct business impact on the healthcare community, patients and providers, and their colleagues. Today, I am speaking to Rob Braun, who's had decades of leadership experience in medical education in life sciences and pharmaceutical biotech. He has been a leader on the commercial side in advertising as well and continuing medical education. He's president of Global Learning, Collaborative Omni Education, Prova Education, Metelligence, and Agile Specialties with experience in oncology and also some recognized medical education brands that you will all probably know, such as Medscape, WebMD, where he served as executive director. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about the importance of teaching and testing in medical education in our digital environment in which we all live today. So Rob, it's a pleasure to have you here at All Out Coach. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about your current role and uh, Omnia Education Global Learning Collaborative? What does that mean? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tim. Nice, nice, uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I've been overseeing uh, Global Learning Collaborative for uh, since around 2018, and so we have a couple divisions that are dedicated to certain fields and specialties. So our Omnia division uh, focuses exclusively on women's health, uh, and then we have Prova Education, which is uh, multi-specialty. So oncology uh, is a big one for us. Neurology, gastroderm. Um, and then uh, we actually have Medtelligence, which is uh, exclusive on cardiovascular medicine, cardiorenal, cardiometabolics. And then Agile is uh, another division we have that really we do the OUS, uh, so education outside the United States. So how does a podcast really differentiate itself amongst so many different channels in terms of ultimately improving quality of care? Yeah, yeah. Can we well, start yeah. there. Yeah, so that's a good one. You know, education is certainly many different formats that, uh, that you know that we develop and work on, and podcasts have been a, you know, a hot one the last couple of years uh, ever since I got here. Um, and so we do live meetings, we do satellite symposia, we 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 do traditional digital programs, video based programs, didactic, case based learning, and and some interactive type programs. But you know, uh, the, the one thing that podcasts I think uh, have that some of these other device or formats don't have um, is convenience and flexibility. You know, today's practitioner is is really busier than ever, right? And so, you know, maybe they just don't have the time to read that journal article or that, you know, that textbook or watch that video program. Um, but they have time when they're uh, commuting to and from the office, you know, perhaps there was a patient experience. And, you know, they, they, they now have a question on their mind about how to diagnose, treat, or manage a disease, they can go find a podcast and listen to it on, on their way home and they commute or when they're doing other daily activities and, and tasks. So I think one of the nice things about podcasts is it offers a lot of convenience and flexibilities of different ways you can watch them and consume them from your mobile device to your tablet. Um, the other thing I think that podcasts do really, really well that, that we recommend and uh, in our early days, we did one or two more didactic-based podcasts. Is is keep them interview-based or discussion-based. Uh, I think you know when you go to a satellite symp symposia, we see a lot of like 
you know, didactic lectures. I think podcasts really get delivered when it's conversations and allowing, you know, faculty experts to contextualize evidence or contextualize patient cases, scenarios, how do you manage and treat this patient? Uh, and so I think that becomes a little bit of like a little bit entertaining as well as as well as getting educated. Yeah, so many people think of podcasts as audio alone. Your uh, approach uh, terms the, the podcast as podcast in motion. Let's dig into what makes your particular approach to podcasts one that shows that it's dynamic, helps people not just listen, but also you know, interpret and apply that information somehow. You know, one of the things that, that our company does really, really well is, you know, I, I have a team of animators. And, you know, so when we started looking at the growth of podcasts um, and I started looking at the marketplace about how people were accessing podcasts, you know, and, you know, all these publishers, like we're, we're a publisher, we can, you know, put information out into the digital environment. But what I was seeing was a lot of, you know, sound bars, on people's websites, you know, so certainly you can consume spot, you can consume podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google podcasts, and a great audio experience and wide distribution. Um, but we on the CME side sent out a lot of emails to get clinicians to engage in our content. And so it doesn't right. mean that they're going to be on a mobile device. They may open it up and they're sitting at their laptop like you and I are sitting here on, on big screens. Mm -hmm. So looking at a soundbar may not be the best user experience. So what we decided was, why don't we add a little bit of supplemental animation mm -hmm. to that so that if we do get that user on the desktop, we have a kind of a unique user experience. They're not just looking at a soundbar. So it'll be an audio experience. Uh, on the right-hand side, you're seeing a laptop there. And, and you know, so as faculty speak to that important teaching point, we'll make that animation appear so you get a visual cue and an auditory cue. Um, and then if you're looking at it on your mobile device, you got a really, really nice looking user experience. Now, now we don't have animation all the time. Sometimes it's just audio. Sometimes they're just talking. There's no need to animate anything. So it's just a mm -hmm. traditional audio. Um, mm -hmm. But it allows us to add tables, chats, and charts. You know, oncology is such a data centric market, right? So I think to see the data uh, right. as faculty verbally say is is a nice uh, entry point or, or differentiation. So. I think when you consume our program on a Spotify applet, you're just getting that audio version. Um, mm -hmm. We uh, what we use is ReachMD. Uh, ReachMD was born out of Radio Legacy, so it has a great environment. But they have the the platform that we could kind of serve uh, outcomes instruments too, which will allow us to measure you know effectiveness of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I definitely want to speak about that as well um, because you know in my review of medical education, where I actually started my career at Aventus, uh, which then became Sanofi, was acquired by Sanofi. I've seen data that shows that most of the information, most of the social media delivered medical education uh, metrics, in particular KPIs, they, it, they indicate that they are accepted. A lot of physicians are using them you know, clinicians uh, early in their training, also those who are seasoned. Uh, however, some there is somewhat of a, you know, of a gap in the outcomes and behavior, you know, and I realize how difficult it is. And I remember those times myself to organize a program, then s distribute the surveys for evaluation surveys where, 
you may get some responses, some physicians will tell you, okay, I intend to change my behavior, right? What are some approaches to improving those that direct impact on KPIs, on outcomes, and how can podcasts address these gaps? Yeah, yeah, um, good, good questions. You know, and I think sometimes it's, uh, you know, where the, where the content is consumed, right? Um, so when you're, you know, consuming on, you know, Facebook or, or, or even Twitter and things like that, you know, there might be a bit more challenges to serving some sort of the outcomes instruments that like we like, we like to do in medical education, mm -hmm. right? So that education worked, um, you know, with podcasting, you know, a lot of us are using, you know, those big podcast channels to broaden our reach and distribution, right? But you sure. really can't serve that outcomes instrument on Spotify or Apple iTunes, right? You're not going to get a pretest mm -hmm. or a yep. post-intervention survey. Um, so I think one of the benefits and in what industry wants to look at, they're going to be funding podcasts is they want to align with um, uh, somebody that's credible as well, right? So these publishing companies, um, journals, maybe um, um, universities, things like that. So somewhere where there's additional outlets where that content can be consumed, where you can actually use some of the uh, of their platforms to serve a, a pre-intervention survey and a post-intervention uh, assessment. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing that. And, and I, and I said that that's why I like using the ReachMD platform is they're, they're, they have all these different network channels to distribute the content, but they actually have the embedded ecosystem to allow you to serve uh, CME certificates, as well as, you know, pre-test questions, post-test questions, case-based questions, mm -hmm. and we can target specialties too. So we can actually target relevant oncologists or neurologists and depending on what you have. So to have that partner that allows you to drive an audience is going to be really important and not be solely reliant on social. Um, okay. Social can add to scale. We use social mm -hmm. very much for audience generation capabilities. So we'll, we'll use social to enhance and drive people back to the learning center where we can, you know, to deploy the content as well as the outcomes instrument. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, and the attendance from a, from the perspective of engagement, maybe mm -hmm. we can start with just engagement and what are some trends that you've seen in engagement among particular types of attendees, physicians through your programs? Yeah, well, uh, so I, I sent over a slide to you that we're looking at right now. So this yeah. is an example of an oncology one in, in bladder cancer. Uh, and again, what we were able to do was use our partner in ReachMD to kind of really set out some targeted campaigns to relevant audiences. It was also, you know, distributed on, on those traditional podcast outlets as well. Mm -hmm. um, but what we were able to do was to a couple of things. Number one was look at the target audience, right? So we wanted to reach, you know, oncologists, urologists, and pathologists in particular. So you can see we did a really great job with 4,500 total learners. We got uh, a vast amount were physicians. And then at the oncology, especially, you know, 1,800 or so oncologists actually engaged in it and 900 or nearly 1,000 urologists. <clears throat> but the, the nice thing that we looked at was how long did they stay in the program? and 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 what we found is, you know, if it's if it's really relevant, they're going to stay, right? So, if we get somebody to stay 50% or longer into a program, then then we're doing a pretty good job. If we lose somebody here in this example, if we lost somebody in the first 25% of the program, that was about 14% of the learners. Mm -hmm. um, 
But recently started a, a little statistics. If you stay 50% or greater, they would consider that a committed tech learner. So okay. what we found with our podcast is very high engagement. So 80%, 90% staying 50% or more with the vast majority staying 75% or longer. Okay. The other secret sauce to that is brevity. Yes. So we, we don't do really long programs. We, we tend to focus on two learning objectives, maybe three. And we, we, we tighten up the content to be about a 15 minute or so conversation or discussion. Um, so we, we don't go you know, really back into the early stages of this disease. And yep. that we'll, we'll look at the goals of the program and design it so that we can get the content in a, in a shorter amount of time. And that's when we're seeing greater uh, completion rates. I see. Okay. So that's the completion. Now, Dr. Ian Lang, a physician in, uh, in 1991, he said that teaching without testing is like cooking without tasting, reading without writing. And I think you, you really feature the, the, the importance and the significance of testing and doing it very deliberately in a serial manner, like in a modular fashion. Uh, in bite-sized um, kind of podcast that you mentioned. Now, mm-hmm. can can you talk a little bit about the outcomes, actually measuring clinical outcomes? Yeah, great. From your programs. As, you know, ReachMD and Medscape and, and, and Helio or some of these other big platforms are publishers, you know, they might be able to serve these pre-test, post-test instruments, right? And again, I'll, I'll just say it again. Uh, we're not going to get the surveys on... Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. So you got to have that other channel so you can measure it and use those Spotify's to have that extra content consumption. There's nothing wrong with consuming content, right? Um, mm-hmm. So in this example here, this was a, a different bladder cancer one that we did a, a little bit ago, but we we're trying to uh, uh, educate our learners about you know, does everybody need to be tested uh, for biomarkers and to use uh, certain therapeutics in bladder cancer? So we put, posed a pre-intervention question, and then we asked the same question again following the podcast. And so you can see at, you know, pre-intervention, 23% were correct. Uh, post the education, we had a 57% improvement uh, in that now. So we were able to transfer about, you know, the importance of, of testing and if everyone needs to be tested from an individual treatment strategy in bladder cancer. So great improvement showed education worked, but it also uncovered that, you know, maybe we didn't hit everybody or that, that wasn't um, received uh, completely. So there's about a 40% gap. So we might recommend continued education on treatment strategies and interventions in bladder cancer and, you know, mm-hmm. who, when, and why. Now, is there a particular range of time after the program where you tend to test most often and uh, do you repeat the, those same tests maybe later on down the line um what is can you just go go into a little bit of detail on um on the timing of the yeah the tests yeah. so so most of our our survey instruments are kind of uh shown to the the learner or made available immediately following immediately. the, the oh. content Okay. And so, so that's when most of our pre-test, post-test uh, occurs. If, mm-hmm. if, uh, if, if the initiative warrants it, we've also, you know, kind of looked at maybe looking at a uh, a reinforcement type program, right. or maybe we'll repeat yep. some of the t- those top learning objectives again, remind them of, hey, this is what you should have learned. These were the hot buttons from that program. Mm-hmm. 
and we might be able to include a survey instrument uh, in that as well. Now, what we found is it's it's pretty difficult to do some of those extended follow-up surveys to get a significant number of people to participate. I think that's been a, a challenge to all of us all, uh, as CME providers is, you know, these follow-up surveys that we do, you know, we tend to, it's hard to re-engage them once, the, you know, you're three, four weeks down the road to re-engage them in that survey instrument. So you, your mm -hmm. ends might be a little bit lower. Okay. And how do you incentivize a, them to respond? Do so, you have high response rates? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, what, what you might do is, you know, we, we, we've done is kind of what we call a, um, uh, a certified second program. And so mm -hmm. similar agenda, faculty and learning objectives and offer against CME credits and that pretest could actually serve as its follow up. Um, mm -hmm. Or sometimes we'll, we'll offer uh, uh, a gift card or uh, an Amazon or Starbucks gift card to yeah. take a survey and, and just offer a survey to them mm -hmm. to enhance uh, in, uh, participation rates. So you have a vast experience in the world of medical education, right? Uh, so I want to ask you, what are some of the latest trends? How has medical education and its quality uh, really changed uh, over the, the past few years, let's say, you know, over the past decade, let's say? How, how does that relate to the preferences? Are the preferences of those uh, who attend CME programs today, are they changing as well? Um, and you touched on some of them, but I think there's a couple of hot buttons that, that are kind of out there right now. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so let's start, start with brevity, right? Uh, COVID forced everybody to go digital, right? So everybody had to kind of start doing digital programming, digital interventions, uh, online programming. And a, a lot of us are built still of that live meeting setting where we we're trying to cover an hours long program and an agenda right. and then put it online and expect people to watch an hour long program. And, right. and that's a different experience when you're sitting in a live setting versus, you know, somebody at their computer self-directing them to the mm -hmm. content. So COVID taught us a lot of things. It taught us, you know, how do you do digital? And, and there's some people that do really, really good job with it. And then there are others that just take that live and chatter to it. So, Lessons learned, and we and we got to get better there. But brevity, micro learning, right? So what we we what we are seeing. So we've done 15 minutes, short, two active programs, but now we've actually moved towards even micro learning courses where we can maybe look at a topic and segment it down into uh, one learning objectives, one question before the micro course, one question at the end, highly focused. And you know, say maybe we're doing something on diabetes, we could do something on you know diagnosis, treatment, manage, case peer perspectives, patient commentary. And that mm -hmm. would be just a collection of five minute episodes and we can market those five minute episodes to that audience. So micro learning and short form education can work. Um, and then you can do an, an outcomes instrument where you don't have to do, you don't have to burden the, the user with so many questions either, right? That's the yeah. nice thing is you got one, you're asking them to ask one question right? Mm -hmm. and before and after, that's easy enough to do. So what we're seeing is really high participation and we're seeing really good ends in our in our survey instruments with this micro course. Um, the other thing that I'm running across a little bit more and more is some small group learning and some you know return to live. Uh, obviously, with you know uh, post pandemic, we're seeing more mm -hmm. return to live. But small group learning uh, is something that we we've seen. We've we've partnered uh, with uh, 
real CME and done some gather ed type programs where they get a, a moderator and they lead a small group through some, some educational interventions, yeah. allow for some self-study. Um, and then also in the live setting, there's, there's potential to get some small groups together uh, and do some more regional type of education. Uh, grand rounds, I think, ha- have returned with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in oncology, we're seeing a lot more grand rounds coming back and, and an appetite for that. Okay. One question I do have to ask you, I think that's very relevant, is what makes continuing medical education that's accredited uh, important and critical today from all other types of sources of education that are out there on TikTok? Now I'm hearing that a lot of physicians are, you know, educating via one minute quick, uh, you know, sound bites, right? Even uh, platforms such as TikTok. What's your personal position on just on making sure that the information is accredited and is quality is accurate? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I think CME, the hallmark of CME, right, is its independence, right? Um, it's fair balance, it's evidence based. You know, I've done a lot of presentations initially on the value of CME. And when I, when I meet folks, you know, very high up on the food chain, you know, they think it's all about getting credits. And, and most doctors in the digital environment don't get credits. Uh, you know, they really participate in CME because they know it's going to be evidence-based and fair balanced. Uh, and so it's quality. So there's a hallmark of CME might carry a badge of quality, a badge of credibility and evidence-based and, and, and free of influence, right? Um, it doesn't mean that non-accredited education doesn't work. I think, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we all are, are driven by a question we have. Uh, a topic of interest sure. and and sometimes you know like we're born on youtube or something like that well, how right. long is this video you know am i gonna have to set it this for 20 minutes or is this like yeah. a three minute type of thing and i can get my sound bite so there's needs for both i i just think your, your question as it relates to cme i just think that cme carries a little bit of that hallmark of quality and credibility uh, mm-hmm. with the physician community or yeah. clinicians i guess all clinicians okay well, I'm really grateful for being introduced to you by a, another leader in medical education, Patty Jessak. Yeah. And uh, I want to ask you where the listeners can find uh, your some of your programs and some of the innovative work that you're doing and, and that systematic approach to education. What is the website? Where can physicians who are in the network or some of the listeners to All Out Coach, healthcare professionals, and not only, you know, maybe others as well. Yeah, what what is the website? And- sure, so we, we host all of our programs on each medical education division's website. So omnieducation.com, if you have interest in women's health. Uh, provaeducation.com would be, you know, oncology and multi-specialty. Uh, Metelligence.net would be our cardiology and uh, cardiovascular education. Um, and then we also distribute on uh, a lot of our activities for broader uh, reach and more you know, specialized reach is on reachmd.com. And so there you have to kind of circ out you know, your specialty and you'll find some of our programs on the mix of other med ed companies that are, that are using reachmd. And probeeducation.com mm-hmm. is the second one, I believe, correct? Right. And I'm gonna just put, yeah, I'm going to also add that one. And uh, that one uh, focuses on oncology. That'd be oncology, uh, gastro, neuro, derm. You know, it's a, it's multi-specialty. Um, uh, and then cardiovascular medicine uh, would be our uh, medtelligence 
medtelligence.net. Uh, medtelligence.net. Medtelligence.net. Well, the uh, slogan here at All Our Coaches, stretch yourself, lift others. And one of the ways to do that, I think, starts with education, right? So uh, very often we are so focused on our work, on our, you know, routine or the daily routine that we forget to educate ourselves. And in fact, there's there's data to show that the years of experience, even in healthcare and medicine, have a reverse relationship with the quality of healthcare. And that's where I think education, independent, non-independent education comes in. And those are the times that I always look forward to. I do that on LinkedIn. I don't do that enough anymore. But these opportunities to talk to people like you, leaders like you in education are an educational opportunity for me as well and for our listeners. So... Well, great. Well, uh, I want to leave you with the last words here and any final message for those who are looking to learn in this environment in which there are probably more opportunities to communicate and to learn than ever before. What are some some parting words? from? from yeah, you? I guess. Well, well, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I think this is my first podcast. So. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to try something new. You know, I, I think uh, we're a time, fun time period where, you know, digital is really entrenched. You can do some really fun, creative things and blending audio, video and text uh, to deliver some novel formats and, and learn from your mistakes. Right. So if something didn't work. You know, you certainly can learn from that and, and pivot along the way. But uh, I, I'm a big fan of, of just trying things new and being really creative. Yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. Thank Great. you very much. All right. Tim. So I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much.